0: Okay. So this morning, I wanted us actually to see, to share something from the book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians, just chapter 1, from verse 2 through verse 10. So. Let us just open our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, starting from verses 2 through verse 10. Let me just read through, and then we'll discuss otherwise. Afterwards, I mean. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And that you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, which, uh, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, And Achaia, but your faith in God, has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception you had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, this morning, I want us actually to see uh, something in in this book, Thanksgiving and Hope for the Elect. Thanksgiving and the Hope for the Elect. The book of 1 Thessalonians is the first letter of the two letters from Apostle Paul to the believers in the local church in the city of Thessalonica. So 1 Thessalonians is one of the two letters Paul wrote to these people. Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, visited this strategic location on their second missionary journey, as recorded with Dr. Luke in the book of Acts 17, verses 1 to 9. We can see two people here. We have Silas and we have Timothy. Who was Silas? Silas was one or a member for Jerusalem church. He was sent by the elders and apostles to Antioch. Also, Silas, when he was sent to Antioch, he remained in Antioch and later became Paul's traveling companion. When you read in the book of Acts 15, verse 34, then verse 40 to 41. Again, Silas, identified. he was identified as a prophet who encouraged the brethren in Antioch. He suffered mistreatment and imprisoned with Paul in Philippi. This Silas, together with Paul, he established this church at the Salernica. When you read from Acts 17, verse 1 to 4. And the Timothy, Timothy, the other name was, he was being called Timotheus was a younger disciple who traveled with Paul. When you read from Acts 16, verse 1 to 3, Timothy is mentioned with Paul in many of his letters. Example, you can read from 2 Corinthians, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and you can also read Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1. You can see Paul, uh, Paul, uh, Timothy is being mentioned in Paul's letters. Timothy is also a recipient of two letters. That is first Timothy and second Timothy. He also suffered an imprisonment. And that's why when you read in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, we can see that Timothy suffered imprisonment himself. By then, he had just Returned from a trip to Thessalonica. When you, you, you read from Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, you, we can feel that when he had just come from a trip to Thessalonica, then Paul was, uh, Paul received the message that he has brought from Thessalonica. So he has just uh, returned from a trip, and then here Paul is actually meeting him and is giving the report of what has happened in Thessalonica. The city of Thessalonica was important and a three-thing shopping port of the region of Macedonia. The city lay along the strategic Roman highway connecting east to west called Agnesian Way. This is the city of Thessalonica. The city also was a commercial commercial center And here it had a population of 250 people. 250,000 people. And served as a center of trade and commerce. This is the city of Thessalonica. According to Acts 17, the city evidently has a large Jewish population who supported the synagogue and their presence was very influential. Now, Everywhere we can, you, can, you, can, you can mention about a synagogue, then automatically you need also to realize that, that the choose, they choose people who actually speared it up to see to it that they have a synagogue. And everywhere the synagogue was planted, then automatically the Jews people were there. They were very much influential in that. Now, Paul started this church on his second missionary journey. Maybe it's 50 or 52 AD, after Jesus Christ. He wrote this letter in Corinth with a purpose of shepherding the young church or flock through some difficult attacks on their faith. Now, these people at the Thessalonica, or the church at the Thessalonica, was actually receiving some threats or persecutions within or maybe outside. And therefore, Paul wrote this letter actually wanting to shepherd them from a far end. Encouraging them. As Paul writes the letter of the Thessalonians, he gives us nine reasons showing how these people have been elected by God. So we have nine reasons Paul is writing to them, telling them that you are actually elected by God. So we have nine, and maybe... We may look at two or three. <laughs> I don't know, but 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 let's see. Number one, look at Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter one, verse three. Three a. Remembering before our God, our Father, your work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now number a. Something which is making Paul actually to write to them. Telling them that actually you have been elected by God. He's telling them, I feel the lamper and the work of your faith. The lamper and the work of your faith. Now, Paul is, is the one using these terms to mean work in the Lord. He's using work and leper. He's the person using them. And as he's using them, he's, the term means... Work in the Lord. He used it again into participating or practicing on the context of missionary calling to make himself financially independent of the church in the record. In the record was Paul's own manual leper. Now, when he's using lamp and work, he's referring to himself. Because in the first place, you can see Paul was lampering. He was working so that he can actually be financed to his every time needs. So here, he's using these terms, labor and work, on the context of that he wanted to be independent not in to rely on the church to supply for his needs. And when you read in the 1 first, first Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, and we lamp working with our own hands, when when reviled, we bless; when persecuted, we endure. So this is Paul saying that he worked with his own hands to supply his everyday needs. At the same time, when you read First Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine, he's still echoing the same that he used. He worked with his own hands to supply for his everyday needs. Why? He did not want to be a burden to the church. So when he's using the word lamp and work, he's actually implying himself how he is doing it. And because he's doing it, he's telling these guys, the Thessalonians, that actually, I see, I feel, you are also having of the same. And because of, of what you are doing, what you are doing actually qualifies as you that you have been elected by God. Now, there was a connection between this leper and the missionary work to which he was commissioned by God. It, was, it had a connection that God has also called him, and what he is doing right now for God's sake, that is work. He's working in a mission trip. That is also work. So he's telling them, your working leper is being heard everywhere. And because your working leper is being heard everywhere, then this qualifies you that actually you have been called or elected by God. He understands, when Paul is writing, he understands the risk that he, his or our work or labor might be proved fruitless sometimes. When you read in the book of Galatians chapter 4 verse 11, Paul is writing, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So he's he's very much aware that sometimes you can work and then your work can be fruitless. He 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 knows that. But because he knows that he's looking back and seeing the Thessalonians and he's commending them because which means his work was not fruitless when he, he went to Thessalonica. So he's, he's commending them. And say uh, at the same time, our lamp, as Paul, should be of love. And when I say our lampa, a sponsor of love, we read from the book of John, chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, this actually reminds me back to Kenya. The ladies, not, not ladies maybe in America, but in Kenya. Ladies in, in Kenya, they normally call out to fetch firewood. Why firewood? Firewood will help them light fire and they will cook. And every time they go out they could fetch firewood and they make it in a bundle and then they have a rope to tie that firewood so that they can put it on their heads and move. Without that rope they could not hold those firewood together. So uh, the rope helped them actually to tie this bundle of firewood and they put them on their head and move home. So, I say so because even in the ministry, even in the ministry, the rope of ministry is love. Unless we have love to tie all the qualities that God has given us, unless we have love to die all the gifts that God has, uh, has given us, we cannot go far. So that's why Paul is saying that although our leper should accompany love, he knows. He knows the implication behind love. That without love, We can do nothing. So, throughout the ministry, we should have a working faith. That's faith that is alive. When you read from the book of James, chapter 2, verse 20, and verse 26, faith should be alive and ascended to Christ. Now, when I say that a living faith, I'm saying an active faith, a faith which can work. Sometimes we have faith, but a dead, a dead faith. So, James is saying, as we are in, in God's finding, then our faith should be alive. Should actually push us to a certain call which we are aiming to. And one of that's why the Bible says the church shall live by, by faith. Now, without faith, we cannot go far. And this is what the implication where Paul is saying we need actually to have Uh, In ministry. Throughout the ministry, as I've said, we should have working faith, thus faith that is alive. Our faith should be centered to Christ Jesus. So sometimes it is quite challenging. You may be working in the the fine yard, but you lack even faith. You are doing what you are doing, but even you don't believe in whatever you are doing. There is a saying, when I I was reading a book of uh, apologetics, there were some people, there was a church, which came together praying that in that city they did not want any alcoholism, or maybe alcohol, or maybe beer to be brought in that city. They did not want any house or any shop selling such like things. And they enjoyed that for maybe like five years. There were no trunkards in that city. And then after the fifth year, there was a guy who came to put a bar in that city. And the church said, no, we should go on our knees in prayer in the sitting that this bar and the guy either should go away or this business cannot go. And when they were praying, they prayed. And that guy had his bar there. People were going there to get drunk and go away. But when they were praying like that, something came like a wind and it brought all that house down. And then the, the owner of this house went to the, the court. And they said, I realize that the Christians were praying somewhere. That's why they have brought a problem. They have brought a problem to my business. And then when the Christians were called to justify the point, they said, no, it is not our prayers. It is not our <coughs> prayers. It is not our prayers. Now, if it was not your prayers, then what was it? Then the judge said, I see here two things. Those people, this person who doesn't believe in God, he's recognizing that prayer is the one which has destroyed his business. Mm-hmm. And are you a Christian? you are saying, <laughs> it is not your prob- uh, it's not your prayers. Then who's? There are two people here, a Christian who is praying but is not believing that prayers can move mountains. Mm-hmm. And there is somebody here who is not a Christian and he's believing that those prayers are <laughs> the <laughs> one who <understood. laughs> So sometimes you can be praying, but don't even trusting in whatever you're praying. It, it becomes just a routine. And once it becomes a routine, it becomes a tradition. And once it becomes a tradition, you live by it. And it cannot bring any effect and any impact in our Christian life. So Paul is saying, though we have faith, but faith should be living faith, which can move something. Uh, Let us see number two. Number two, number one has been lamp and a work of faith. And let us see number two. Number two is just on verse number three, steadfast hope. Steadfast hope. Now, steadfast hope is a positive expectation with the correct attitude of Having rested your confidence on the teaching and the promises of the word of God. Having confidence. A positive expectation with a correct attitude of having rested your confidence upon the teachings and the promises of the word of God. Now, some scholars have said that in the Bible we have over 3,000 promises. God has promised these promises to, the, to his people. Over 3,000 promises that, in the Bible. For who? For the believers. And the case what? In Africa, there was a very poor man who was every time insisting, insisting when he saw a missionary, that that missionary could give him a dollar. And every time he could see a missionary, that is his job he could go to him help me a dollar and then this missionary said I don't want to be bothered every time I come here this old man wants a dollar I'm going to give him a dollar and what did he do he went ahead and put the Bible and when he put the Bible he took some dollars and then put them inside the Bible and because most of Africans are not good readers this old man, when he was handed the Bible, what he did, he went and put it there in the cupboard. Two years, four years, five years, he's still begging. And then when this missionary came back again, then he said, okay, you have come. I want a dollar. And then he told him, I gave you. He said, no, you just gave me the Bible. Can you can bring that Bible? He brought the Bible. And then they sat with him. And then when he opened the Bible, there was dollars everywhere. everywhere. And then he said, Old man, we do not need dollars. Because if you need dollars, you have gone through the Bible. I had put them inside the Bible. And because you, you, you do not value the Bible, then you don't value progress. And that is, I'm snatching away everything I gave you. So sometimes we fail to understand that we have treasures given in this, this, this word. We don't have time for the word. Although we want to go to heaven. We don't have time to spend in God's Word, although we want to hear about Jesus Christ. But it's a challenge. We need actually to come down and actually go through the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible Bible for yourself. Feed yourself. Don't depend on people to feed you. (laughs) Like in Africa, when you speak, then they grasp that and then they go away with that. No. We need to read because we have a lot of things that God has promised us as his kids or as his children in the Bible. So, we are assured that those who wait upon the Lord are the faithful ones because they hope firmly in him and will therefore receive his benefits. When you read the book of Isaiah 40, verse 31, you can see, what I say is telling them, those who wait upon the Lord, what they, they may receive. In the Old Testament, we can see people like Abraham. They waited upon the Lord. We can see people like Noah. They waited upon the Lord. We can see people like Joseph, waited upon the Lord. And also, we as Christians, we need to wait upon him because there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do on this face of the globe until Christ has sanctioned to happen for his own glory. So we need to wait upon him. And and if we don't wait upon him, then we will have to move to the shortcuts. And shortcuts always are dangerous. Shortcuts always are dangerous. In fact, if I narrate my story, how I've been living in Kenya and how i come over here, it's a long story. How many times I was discouraged not even to be a Christian. How many times I was discouraged not to do A, B, C, D, for God's glory. But because I was waiting upon the Lord. In the fullness of time, he made it. Like when the Bible says, in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ was born. And also in fullness of time, he will visit you. Only if you wait upon him. But sometimes... (laughs) sometimes we don't don't have that patience. We don't think you are praying today, you want it to happen tomorrow. But let me challenge you. Let me challenge you. How long has Jesus Christ gone back to heaven? How long? Up to now. It's years, isn't it? But we are still praying and longing that one day we will meet with him. But you are not complaining about that. Why? Why? You see, human beings cannot complain about what Jesus promised them that he will come back. They are still waiting for him. But if I promise that I will give you a phone tomorrow and I cannot give you a phone tomorrow, what do you say? You would start complaining. Oh, okay, okay. You, you, you promise, you promise. Patience. Let us wait upon the Lord. Now, they called the nation of Israel was to wait upon God, whom his power rules over all nations. And this hope was specifically for the Israelites. When you read from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 13. Now, a strong hope is that which gives one patience. And the patience, Mark is a fruit of the spirit. When you read from the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 25, is referring that we have trials. And the Bible cannot just tell us to be patient without even showing us that we have trials. You cannot be patient if you are not actually recalling that we have things which should make you to be patient. So patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And 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 patience, in fact, I normally say this, the fruit of the Spirit has nine characters. Has nine characters. So if you categorize them in threes, you can have three categories. One, two, that's three. The first three, that's a relationship between you and God. The second three, that's a relationship between you and your neighbor. And the last three, that's a relationship between you, yourself. Self-control. It is you. If you can control yourself, you can control yourself with other people. That, that's person. And here, Paul is mentioning the fruit of the Spirit, patience. You no know, wonder some people say patience, that's what? It's patience space. And Paul wants us to be patient so that we can actually receive the result. The Thessalonian hope was likely focused on what was laid up For them in heaven. Look at the book of Colossians. Chapter 1 verse 5. The Bible reads. Because of the hope laid up for you. In heaven. Of this you have had before. In the truth. The gospel. The hope that has been laid up for us. There is no one who has ever gone to heaven here and testify how heaven looks like. All of us, we are just hoping. And that hope which we have, I normally say this, a Christian does not live in past tense, a Christian does not live in present tense, a Christian always should live in future tense, because always we should hope. We, always we should hope. And, and Peter referred to this hope as an inheritance, uncorruptible and undefiled, and that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And when you when you follow up what Peter is trying to say, he's not just saying anything else. He's just saying that this inheritance is salvation. And when we talk about salvation, salvation has three phases. We were saved, we are saved, we will be saved. And having said so does not nullify the point that you have a responsibility to hope. You have a responsibility to hope. I was saved when I look back to the cross of of Jesus Christ. I am saved because I'm on the process of sanctification. I will be saved because he will come and take me home, glorification. So, Paul is trying to tell them that you need actually to see that you are going to inherit something and it is uncorruptible. It cannot fade away. And that should be our hope as Christians. We should always be asking ourselves if we have this kind of hope in our lives. Every time, every time you woke up you need to ask yourself if you have such like a hope in your life. Why am I saying so? Because we have challenges. Time to time we have challenges. And those challenges can either pull you down or those challenges can pull you up only if you interpret them in God's perspective. So Paul is uh, trying to tell them now we should always have to ask such like a question, why should we have such like a hope? For an example, a hope that comes from reading the scripture. We need to have actually a hope of reading the scripture. Hope that spur us to the, to be intelligent, living holy and godly lives. That should be our hope. Focus to the to that inheritance laid up for us in heaven. That should be our hope. Now, steadfastness, is a firm, fixed purpose of the heart to cleave unto God to attend strictly and promptly to every Christian duty. To every Christian duty. Now, there's nowhere God has called you to the church and then you come to the church and they say you don't have anything to do. Now, you will be cheating me. Each one of us, God has called us so that we can do something in His fine art. So uh, you have a responsibility. You have, you have a responsibility to perform. That's why He called you. That's why He called you. And, and for your information, as I'll be uh, coming to number four, you'll see that God has not just left us that way, as He called us, and then He has just left us that way. No, He has embarrassed us, He has given us the power to perform. So, God has called us, and he wants us actually to be responsible for doing something in his vineyard. If our home is like that of the Thessalonians, then we too shall let it be our helmet protecting our minds from distractions of the world. Now, in Kenya, I didn't know that when you are riding a bicycle, you need to put on a helmet. I didn't know about that. <laughs> now, why, why a helmet? And then they say, no, you see, a helmet, you need to put on a helmet because when you get an accident and then you, are, you knock down your head, the helmet will help you. I say, okay, <laughs> okay. But now, why, 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 a, why, a, why a helmet here in America? In America, we, could <laughs> we have fun. Cars. I don't need a helmet. They say, no, one day you'll need a bicycle. I say, I don't need a bicycle when I'm in America. I don't need a bicycle. And the helmet, every time you cannot put on a helmet on your knees, you put a helmet on your head. Whereby, when you are coming, somebody can identify that you have put on a helmet. It's seen. And it is protecting something. So Paul is trying to tell them that let us put this hope as a helmet. And then when you, you read and study what is meaning here, he's saying that let us put all salvation as a helmet so that people can see it and feed it. That's what he's saying here. So if our hope is like that, we can, it can be our helmet to protect our minds from destruction of this world. What are these world distractions? What are these uh, world destruction that we can be protected against? We don't know them. Do we know them? Of this huh? You know. What? <laughs> Somebody said, You cannot know something if you don't know something. <laughs> <laughs> so, we cannot say we are protected to certain desires if we don't know them. We need to have known them so that we can know that we need to be protected from A, B, C, D. And we know them. That's why Paul is saying, so that you can be protected from the, this, the worldly distraction, which can distract your mind and it can distract your heart for the betterment of the kingdom. Uh, when you read from 1 John chapter 2, verse 17... We can see he's highlighting some things there. During your free time, you can can read. Now let us see number number three. Number three, we go to verse five. Reception of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's verse five. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five. That is number three. Now, in New Testament, this refers to the inherent power in Rizik. One might also say that the power which has been placed within us, or it is not mine by nature, it is learned power imparted in us by one who is more powerful. And in this case, is Jesus Christ. A learned power in us. A learned power in us. When you read... From the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Through faith. That you being rooted and crowned in love. Uh, it is not you. It is about him. Because do you know that even the faith which you have, so as to believe in Jesus Christ, you did not have it. You were just given. So this power which we are talking about does not stem from human perspective, but it stems from him, God. He has given us this power. And that's why he said in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, he said, don't go out, but you shall receive power when the Holy spirit comes upon you. So this power, it's like a launty power so as you can actually work in God's finite. And you cannot work in God's minus this power. God's power in a believer is the spirit of the Lord in us. When you read the book of Micah, chapter 3, verse 8, and also when you read Romans 1, 16, it says that the gospel is power. So if the gospel is in us, then that's it. <clears throat> now, what's the gospel? When we talk about the gospel, we are talking about the death, burial, the resurrection of who? Jesus Christ. He died, was buried, resurrected. That's good news. That's the gospel. And, and this power is in us. And because this power is in us, somebody said it is, And don't go with it out. Somebody said that God is a spirit. And because God is a spirit, he has come to indwell a human being who has the physical body so that he can help that human being to move around and work for him. So God has empowered you so that you can go out and work for him. And I thank God because he has not just left you alone. Because this is his work. And because it's his work, he needs to empower you first. And because he has empowered you, then you don't have an excuse. <laughs> yeah, because if he has empowered you, you don't have an excuse. You just go. And that's why when he said go, he's meaning it, go. <laughs> 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 when, when I mean <laughs> <laughs> just go no question and, and that's why you can see a person like Moses in the Old Testament God is telling him go and then saying you see you see they say, no go go and we also we have been imparted this go when you read the, the book of uh, Matthew the Great Commission you go therefore. But sometimes we need to read that verse as we go. As we go. Let's make disciples. Because God has confidence in you. He has empowered you. We don't have an excuse. We need just to go. Even in, even in Kenya, we need just to go. <laughs> we need just to go. We don't have an excuse. Yeah. The Thessalonians received the word in much affliction. Or persecutions, but they received the word with joy of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Paul is teaching that God's power is closely connected with the resurrection. The Holy Spirit is the power that works and releases the power and authority of Heavenly Lord to the earthly community. It's the Holy Spirit, it releases releases to the earthly community. Who who are those in the earthly community? You are you and me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The, uh, The Holy Spirit is the power that works and releases the power and authority of heavenly Lord in earthly community. Christians will be raised from the dead by the same power of God that raised their Lord, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Do you know that we will the same power which God raised his son Jesus Christ is the same power we are going to be raised up. Now when we read that is first, first Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 and the second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 but verse first Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 reads and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. When you, you, you look at Second Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he who raised the Lord, Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He will. And that's our promise, which we need to hope for. He will. Now, it is not just right words. We speak that will change lives, but, tra- but transforming power of the Holy Spirit. It's just not good words that will make somebody to be transformed, but the Holy Spirit. Realize that we were dead. Somebody who is dead cannot feel, has no feelings. And if the Holy Spirit comes and resurrects you to life so as to have the feelings, we, we, we were doomed. And in, in Kenya, I normally say we have, uh, what do we say? Uh, I know it better in Swahili, but let me translate in the English. I normally say the, the moving dead. Somebody who is moving but dead. The moving dead. Somebody who doesn't have Christ, though he's moving, but he's dead. Because he's separated from the real life, the true life, who is Jesus Christ. And this, the implication here, it is not just good words we can speak that will change lives, but the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Without him, there is no change, no ability even to obey God. We dare not rely rely on our wants or abilities. We should preach, teach the word, and pray that the Holy Spirit worketh in us. That's the implication. We should. Now let us see number four. Only number four, and then it will be done, because I see time is not on our side. <laughs> number four is imitators of Christ and Paul. That is verse 6a, imitators of Christ and Paul. Now, listen to this. The late Dr. Alpert Skewesa, famous missionary, medical and musician, was asked a question. What is the right way to raise children? That was the question. Now, he answered there are three ways. Then he he started enumerating them. Number one, by example. Number, number two, by example. Number three, by example. Cited by, by Doug Spengler, American Papy August 1979. Page 35, he was signally right when he said, by example, by example, by example. Now, by your actions, your attitude, your words in a home, your children will learn and assume your roles. Now, there are three things here your actions, your attitude. And your words in a home, every time before you your children, they will assume those roles which they see in a parent doing every time. Now this word stands to mean right walk, working as you have done, perfect participation, and having inferential reference to a course of life now done with imitators, pattern, and mortal. You need to be a role model. If you want your kids to be what you want them to be, then you need to be a role model. You need to set set the course or the pace. Otherwise, (laughs) you will be telling them this way and you are living this way. They will follow what you are doing. In Africa, they normally say do what I tell you, but don't do what I do. <laughs> That's that ridiculous. Paul is, t- <laughs> Paul is telling them, imitate me as I also imitate who? Christ. But in Africa, they tell you, do what I tell you, but don't do what I do. Fantastic. You cannot claim to be a Christian just by, by, by word of mouth, and you are not leaving it out. It cannot work. And every time, it will be contradictory. You are contradicting yourself. So that's why he was asked that, and he gave those answers. So what am I trying to say? Imitators of Christ under Paul, Paul uses the word from the English word which we get, the word mimic. That's what it is like. They are mimicking Paul, and they are mimicking Jesus Christ. Believers were abandoning the ways of the world following hard way after the examples left by Paul and Silas. They were abandoning earthly ways and they were following the hard way which Paul and Silas had set as an example. Now, Christianity is hard. Christianity is hard. In fact, in my class with the doctor, uh, no, 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 sorry, In my class, we are dealing with why is it hard to be a Christian. It is hard to be a Christian, but it is very easy to confess to be a Christian. But it is hard, because Christianity is not all what we confess, but Christianity should be what we live and proclaim. And if it is not coming out clearly, then guess what? you are not portraying the true picture of what Jesus Christ has called you to. Now, if we do not set the right example regarding our reception of the word, then we will be following the example of those who are rebuked in the book of Hebrews 5, verse 12. Hebrews 5, 12 says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. That was just a rebuke. He was saying then, at this stage, you need to have grown. But what's the problem? I, I, I don't recommend you for solid food. Maybe continue with the milk. That is a rebuke. You can pick the judge. Yes. And then you cannot even show the a sense of growth. So it's a rebuke. You can even claim to be receiving good things, but if you are not growing, it's a rebuke. My friends, let me finish with this uh, uh, sentence. If we do not set a right example, I'm saying then we are going to be rebuked. Now, which example are you setting? As people, as, you, as your neighbors look at you as those people who interact with, which, which pace, which example are you setting? Is it questionable? And if it is questionable, you know it very well. <laughs> you know. Because each one of us, we normally live our own life. And let me tell you, we have public living and a private life. And let me tell you, mostly, I tell people, mostly, God is very much interested with your private life because that is the real you. <laughs> private life, it's really you. <sighs> I cannot go beyond there. Maybe you have a comment. Maybe you have a question. You are welcome. I cannot go beyond there because it's time. Although I have not exhausted everything I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But we cannot copy all there. This time, this could be good stewards of time. <laughs> Do you have a comment? Do you have any questions? Thank you for teaching us this morning. Oh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. If there is nothing, there is no question, there's not. Bye-bye. Thank you for your time. See you. <laughs>